I really do think that there's a sense that our bodies and our eating and our size is something that, as we were talking about earlier, has been misunderstood as just a matter of willpower or moral rectitude. Or if we think about fitness, we think about that not just in terms of the body concept, but also that the body reflects how you are as a human being or as a soul. Welcome to The Work In Between, the podcast that explores the topics and daily actions that get us to our health-related goals. Whether you're trying to lose weight, get more fit, or improve your mental, emotional, or spiritual health, you're in the right place. In 2021, I was diagnosed with diabetes and was morbidly obese. I was already a three-time cancer survivor, so I knew I had to do something to turn my life around. So I did. I lost over 100 pounds and began transforming my life inside and out. I'm living my most purposeful and intentional life, and I want you to live yours too. Thanks for stopping by. I'm glad you're here. I'm your host, Gretchen Holmes, and this is The Work In Between. And now, part two of my conversation with Dorothy Rischel. Welcome back. Thank you, Gretchen. Good to be back. (laughs) So I'd like to switch focus to obesity. Okay. I know that you work with patients who are considering or are going through bariatric surgery, for example, or working with other weight-related issues. And we know that this is fraught with emotion, anxiety, and a whole lot of fear. What has surprised you the most about working with patients who struggle with their weight at this level? I think one of the things that has struck me throughout the five to six years that I've really been focusing a lot of work on this is really the burden that so many people who struggle with their weight bear. Some of the stories of how people have been mistreated in school, by their families, by their employers, and how that has just attacked, like a cancer, their self-esteem has always, it's been heartbreaking to share in some of those stories, but it's also been very enlightening that in our society, it is one of those places of discrimination. It's those places of prejudice that people become so damaged emotionally often by what they've experienced. Yeah. That's a little negative, but. No, but it's true. But it's true. And I wish that is something that people who maybe have not had to deal with that on a personal level would understand the damage they inflict upon others through their words that are either under the guise of being helpful or, frankly, not under the guise of anything other than pure meanness and nastiness and trying to hurt people. I've never understood why people, and I swear some of them, they feel morally obligated to be incredibly hurtful to people they don't even know. It's as though they are compelled. Yes. And I don't understand that and why they feel justified 
this is a topic that near and dear to my heart, but why they feel so justified in hurting somebody so deeply. I think there are a lot of different motivations. So often what I hear people are describing ways that their parents or their families have spoken to them. I think some of that legitimately comes from fear, but the fear that they're not going to be healthy or they're not going to be socially successful or, you know, uh, that somehow their weight or their appearance is going to hold them back in some way. I think some of that is out of fear, but some of it is also, I think that sense of putting someone down makes us feel better about ourselves and that, you know, that schoolyard kind of visceral way that we hope we grow through, but some folks don't. I agree with you. And I do believe that some of that is coming from a place of fear because fear makes us say and do things that are somewhat irrational at times. Yes. So it makes sense that maybe people don't know how to articulate that in a helpful way that people would be receptive. But that's probably one of the best explanations I've heard in a while. So I appreciate that. It it is heartbreaking. Yeah. And I do think that, you know, anytime we're talking about something like that, it's about power often. And so sometimes, you know, because food is essential for our survival. Food issues have a lot of power issues wrapped up into them. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's another thing that sometimes we don't realize the the kind of buttons that eating and size and appearance and even in our relationships with each other, what eating behaviors cause. Yeah. When I give talks about my journey, I always bring up that obesity is typically the symptom of something else. I've found that it has had a lot to do with our environment growing up or traumas that have happened. However, we rarely get asked about that when we go to the doctor. Mm. You know, it's always focused on the diet and exercise message and what we weigh, because that's an easy thing to focus on because it's quantifiable and there's a number. But I am curious, why do you think we are avoiding some of the actual root causes of weight issues? Because being overweight most of my life, I never had a physician say, what's really going on here? Did you ever have this happen or that happen? Nobody has ever asked me that. And I'm 60 years old. Wow. Yeah. I do think it's because one We don't have as much control over people's emotions. It's not easy to say, okay, do this and you'll feel better. Do this and you'll get over the trauma. This will lift you out of depression, except when we talk about medicines and things. But it's real easy to say, go down to these this number of calories and exercise 30 minutes a day. Okay, that'll fix it. Next. Next. Which, which explains why we have a, a $30 bazillion a year diet industry, because just addressing the, the physical part never works. I mean, if you haven't figured out what's going on with your relationship with food, why you're overeating, why you're self-soothing, why you are using food to deal with your feelings or whatever, well, you may lose the weight once, but you're not going to keep it off because all of those things are going to still be there with you. And even to invite someone to think about what is their relationship to food? When do they feel the cravings? When does that urge 
feel like it can't be satisfied in any other way. So often what we'll find is that it will come back to the self-esteem issues, ways that we may be trying to protect ourselves from feelings or from difficult emotions, sometimes just to protect ourselves from other people. So we won't have to be as close or in, in relationships in various ways. So yeah, I think if it was just about calories, nutrition, and exercise, most of society knows what they need to do. It's that ability and that power to execute it, to be able to make those choices in a consistent way that is going to be the most helpful for them and give them the best opportunities in life. The costs of being overweight and obesity are very clear, again, to most people. They know the negative effect on their health, on their heart, on their cancer risk, on their blood pressure, all those kinds of things. But what is it that is maintaining that lack of control? I think those are the emotional pieces that often people are not equipped to address. I agree. I know that our primary care docs are limited with the amount of time they can spend with a patient. Of course, they're being asked to do more in less time. And I'm not blaming anybody for that. I'm really not. But I really would like to see more discussion around, I think it would be helpful for you to go talk to somebody. You know, let's get at the root of what's going on. How about you know what, we can make an appointment to go see Dr. Rischel and see kind of if there's something there that you might be able to explore. Because I do think that would be very helpful in conjunction with all this other advice that we get. We can't get a handle on the emotional and the mental and the spiritual. We're never going to get a handle on the physical. Absolutely. And, and you know, one of the other things that in, in working with hundreds of patients now in this journey, most folks know some about why they struggle with their weight. They may not have made all the connections, but a lot of times people understand how they were raised and what role food played in their life if they just think about it. I've really been impressed across the educational board that people really do have a sense of this is how I got here. And as you explore it with someone, a professional would be ideal, but even with friends that are other family members, trusted others, that they can figure out where this came from. So how we can start to heal. My wish is that we would get rid of this idea that people who have weight issues or are obese or morbidly obese are weak and it's the lack of willpower. To be an overweight person in our culture, you are not weak. There is nothing weak about you. It is harder to get up every day and show up or function or physically it's harder, mentally, emotionally, socially, all of those. So It is not a weakness and we are not lazy. I wish we could dispel that right Right. here, right now. Right. It is not a moral issue in the same way that we used to look at 
alcoholism as a moral issue. It is not. There are some behavioral disturbances that are sabotaging for folks, but I agree. It is not because somebody's weak. The other thing that the research has found is that people are assumed to be less intelligent if they're overweight. And again, that's, that makes no sense. So you brought up food. Of course, we're going to talk about food. Um, <laughs> A huge challenge for many of us who have had weight issues is navigating relationships with people that we love around food. So food is our love language. It is, I don't care where you're from. I don't care what your religion is. I don't care north, south, east, west, what country. Food is our love language. And with that comes expectations, which may not align with our personal health goals now. What are some suggestions on navigating that? Because that is a high pressured situation. And I know a lot of people who have gotten healthy, who have lost a lot of weight. And sometimes the answer is they just don't go around their family at the holidays. These are tough situations sometimes. It is. And again, unintentionally, most of the time. (laughs) I I think sometimes the ones we love the most and that love us the most can be the hardest to deal with in this because it is something that eating somebody's food means that you appreciate them and you honor the traditions and you know what trouble they went to make this for you. And the more you eat, the more you care for them can be that food script that many of us will hold in our head. And similarly, I think sharing food is something that we do in faith communities. It's also something that we do in families Mm -hmm. to join us together, to bond in that breaking of the bread. So it becomes a question of first anticipating. I really encourage the folks that I work with to, okay, let's think about what Thanksgiving is going to be like. When the overflowing plate is not the reason that you're there, how can you handle that? What can you, how can you communicate with people and how can you feel sure in yourself that you are worthy, that you love these folks that you're with and they love you? I really do think communication can be very important and sometimes taking the lead on that. You know, I am really proud of the changes that I've been making in my health choices. And I'm really excited to be here with y'all today. I'm going to take a little bit of less. I'm just going to take a bite to taste it. And that's going to be satisfactory to me instead of waiting for the coaxing to take more or you're not eating enough. That can't be all. You could just eat a little bit more. Those are the kinds of things that I hear folks are being told in those social situations. So uh, anticipation, I think, is important. And in the context of that, having a game plan, what am I going to do? What am I going to say? And how am I going to respond to some of those feelings that may come up? You know, I'm not doing the right thing. Do you think sometimes all of what we're talking about is based in, especially with families where maybe everybody is heavy? where food is the focus and everybody tends to overindulge, that part of that is because 
if one person makes the conscious choice and is successful at losing weight and getting healthy, that it reflects negatively on them? Yeah, it feels like a judgment of our family ways, Mm -hmm. of our traditions, of the way you were raised, which can feel like a judgment. And that's clear no matter how we're talking about differentiating Mm -hmm. from our family. It may be dressing a different way, going down a different faith path, all, you know, taking a different accent on all sorts of ways. But when we talk about food and we talk about those social patterns, it's so primal in the same way that we, you know, fancy food for our pets. (laughs) That's the way we, (laughs) you know, that's the way we show them. We love them. So it's a very primal basic need. But I think that sometimes to, again, to at least keep that clear and our own minds if we're the person who has made the change. So maybe if we are making that change and we're anticipating that that may come as a slap in the face Mm -hmm. to some people, or maybe not even that, just you're being different from us. It feels negative that I can't do it as well. May need some extra hugs to go around. We may need some extra compliments to keep it very positive and to let the family know you're still a part, you still value them, you're not judging them yourselves. I think that is part of of the anxiety that comes with making choices and the food pushing that happens, which also, by the way, happens at work. Yes. You know, you can go in and work at a hospital where you think the focus would possibly be on healthful eating, but Sometimes when you sit down and you have whatever healthy thing that you've brought and others can make pretty snide comments for what you're choosing to do. And so it's not just, you know, with family, but it certainly can be at work too. And I see a lot of people go, how do you even handle that? I want to eat alone at my desk. And I understand that. But we all have to learn how to set boundaries and let people know that that's not an appropriate response. I don't appreciate anyone saying that. I was going to ask, Gretchen, how have you navigated that? This time around, because the third time was the charm for me, I only have challenges when there's not a lot of options to choose from. But most of the time, when I come in prepared with my own lunch, like, for example, I have brought my lunch every day now for two and a half years, Mm -hmm. and I have learned how to be able to participate with everybody, and I even buy pizza for the team, and I don't necessarily eat it, but I will sit there. I always order salad as well, so that anybody who is more food conscious or health conscious has options so you can still participate. Right. And no, because there's nothing worse than having some kind of a gathering and then somebody sitting there making sure everybody else knows they're not going to eat that stuff because that's no fun. We don't like that either. So, you know, I just kind of learned to own my own choices and I don't make excuses and I try not to bring any attention to it, but people obviously have noticed I've lost 110 pounds. I can't hide yes. that, but I don't make excuses for why I'm eating healthy either. 
These yes. are my choices. I feel good about it. And I really try to focus on the people instead yes. of the food. And, right. you know, it, it depends on the circumstance. But I think for the most part, because everybody I hang out with now knows kind of my story, it's expected yeah. that they kind of know what I'm going to do. I haven't really had that problem. I still eat cake. I had a piece today because we we're <laughs> celebrating a birthday. Yeah. But I, for the most part, people realize that I may or may not participate in all of it, but I am present and I am grateful to be a part of it. And if anybody says anything, I'm not aware of it. So yeah. I don't really, yeah. I think I realized at some point I got my self-esteem back and I realized my life was as important as everybody else's. Right. Well, thank you for that. I do think that there are things that we can do to set those boundaries, which are so important and, and to claim the space, yeah. which is a little smaller now, yeah. but, uh, yeah. but hopefully the esteem and the spirit and the soul are a little bigger. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, you know how difficult it is to step out of the role that you may have in your family. And, you know, you could be a hugely successful professional and taking care of yourself and your family and you go home and all of a sudden you're 12 again. Absolutely. And so add a food situation to that. And absolutely. Yeah. You know, it gets complicated, but yeah. you know, one of my mantras is that we cannot shame or hate ourselves to good health, but we can love ourselves to good health. I close every show that way. Why do you think there is so much shame attached to weight? And why do we attach our self-worth so strongly to how much we weigh? There's all sorts of thoughts about that. I mean, an obvious one is the media. And I think that sometimes people need to really draw lines for themselves that they don't continue to consume things that are magazines, feeds, television shows that are making them feel worse about themselves because of their size in comparison mm -hmm. to these people who spend their lives being the size that they are and, yeah. and taking the pictures and that sort of thing. And I think the whole media aspect is an important contribution, but I don't think that's all that it is. I really do think that there's a sense that our bodies and our eating and our size is something that, as we were talking about earlier, has been misunderstood as just a matter of willpower or moral rectitude. Or if we think about fitness, we think about that not just in terms of the body concept, but also that the body reflects how you are as a human being or as a soul. So I think that's some of the shame that comes from it. And just that, you know, we talk about it in Christianity is the sins of the flesh. I think sometimes there's a sense that our body is shameful and that if I don't have the perception that we've treated it right or treated it as in conforming to our society. If we feel like our body is out of conformity with society, we feel like the odd one and something that we should be ashamed of. So I think that's part of the places that it comes from. It's hard because it is something that is very deep and the guilt and the shame is often 
the monster that we have to hide and then to heal we have to look at it and decide whether that's rational at all i also think some of that can come from whatever the early traumas were, which often have shame attached to them and guilt and all those other negative emotions. But I think that is actually, I think that would make a really good future podcast where we could dig into that. I mean, there's so many different aspects of this that I do think we need to talk about. We need to have these conversations, even though they're hard, even though they're uncomfortable. But people are living these things every day. And I think we really have to be able to talk about these issues with compassion and with love and with the whole spirit of helping each other navigate them. And which, of course, which is why I wanted you to be on the show to begin with. But as you know, this show is all about focusing on the daily work that we all have to do to reach our health-related goals. So what are two or three actions that we can take today to be kinder to ourselves and more accepting of ourselves, no matter what we weigh? I ran across a slogan that I really liked. It was stop, drop, and feel. Okay. (laughs) And I loved it because so often the urges to run away, the urges to eat, The cravings that we feel sometimes are like a fire. We feel like we're on fire. And so I loved the idea of stopping when we have that urge or when we have that negative thought, stopping and dropping, which means sitting with it, Mm -hmm. feeling it. And then being able to reframe or restructure, to see what the feeling is, to identify it, to allow the whatever the emotion is to be a part of our life without judgment and to decide how we walk forward from that. I just thought, you know, in those times, particularly that we feel that strong urge to do something, the compulsion to stop, drop, and feel. I thought that was very clever, and it spoke to me in different ways. I think another step that we can take to having more self-love is to, again, go into what our basic values are. Where does our worth come from? To think about it and identify How can we participate in that self-awareness, that self-worth, that joy today? Finding some way to appreciate what's happened to us, but also what we have done. What have we done today? What have we felt today? What have we experienced today that has made a difference in who we are or in the life of somebody else. And I really do think that reflection makes a difference. The stopping also that I was talking about in the first slogan, I think helps us to realize that we do not have to be pushed by the old traumas, the old patterns, the other people's thoughts or judgments of us, that we can make a decision for ourselves that was part of what I was thinking about was just that if we can identify what we're feeling 
and then also find some activity to participate in that allows us to validate those ultimate values. You know, Dorothy, this was everything that I thought it would be. I feel like I have gotten the biggest spiritual hug by getting to spend this time with you. Thank you so, so much for spending this time with us. I know that we all are going to take away some really valuable, not only good information, but just ways of embracing ourselves and understanding how important it is to love ourselves as much as we love other people. I really think we have to make that priority. So it goes without saying, I truly hope that you will join me again. It's very mutual. Thank you for having me. It's really been a delight. So what about you? What resonated with you the most about today's show? What questions remain unanswered? I'd love to hear from you. Please drop me a note by visiting my website at www.gretchenholmesphd.com where all of my previous podcasts are located along with additional information to help you on your journey. You can also sign up for podcast alerts and upcoming events. Finally, from me to you, Remember to love and celebrate yourself now, today. Don't wait until you feel worthy. You already are. Loving yourself is the only way to good health. Until next time. The information on this podcast is not intended nor implied to be a substitute for professional medical advice. Mm -hmm.